Hello, here we are at Satellite Cultural. It is a space which discovers worlds of art and culture. We thank very much to Fred Freddy Foundation who makes possible these art and culture episodes. At microphone, Nelly Fiedrich. Listen to the next episode, which is going to be about Cristo and Jean-Claude. Like all artists, Cristo and Jean-Claude fraternized with other artists and in some cases became very close friends. And like most artists, they also acquired and surrounded themselves with artworks they particularly liked. Cristo and Jean-Claude together acquired some exceptional pieces during their lives, including works by Andy Wadlow, Marcel Duchamp, Lucio Fontana, and Yves Klein. Sotheby's is about to disperse their entire collection on 70 February in Paris, part one, and online from 8 to 18 February, part two. The sale, which was prepared over a year ago, but postponed due to the pandemic, will include some 400 lots. Of these 400 or so works, 107 have been earmarked for the sale on 70 February, with estimates ranging from 3,000 to 1 million euros. The most prestigious work is a Jackie by Andy Wadlow, dated 1,964 and acquired from David Bourdon in New York. Then comes an Austers but not least Super Concetto Espaciale Atesa by Lucio Fontana, a single slit on a raw canvas for which Sotheby's is expecting between 300,000 and 500,000 oils. Fontana was one of the first to acquire Christos works long before the artist met in Milan in 1963. Partially the creation year of this work affectionately dedicated to Jean Claude. There will also be a number of important works by the Christo duo works linked to some of their outstanding projects such as umbrellas, which they were in Japan and United States, and Le Empaquetage du Pont Neuf in Paris, and carrying estimates between 200,000 and 300,000 oils. Moving down the price ladder to around 100,000 oils, There is a small blue monochrome by Ips Klein, 20.5 plus 70.5 centimeters. A baton by André Caderet. A hoge armchair by Serit Thomas Reitbel. And even a bronze sculpture by Joan Miro. Other interesting pieces by Nam Yun Pike, Cordon Mataclark, and Marcel Duchamp are being offered in a 50,000 to 30,000 oil price range, still in the part one sale on 70 February. For smaller budgets, 
the online sale is offering a wide choice, over five days and a large number of affordable works, between 200 and 1,500 euros. It is a perfect opportunity to acquire a small work by Joseph Boyce or by Armand. For example, while paying tribute to the memory of this mythical contemporary art duo, Christo and Jean-Claude. In that, profits from the two sales will go to the artist beneficiaries who are planning to create a foundation. And a little bit uh, uh, more about our thema about death and life. We are talking here and now in this moment about the artist is dead. Long live the artist. How real is the death effect? The art world, or should we say the art world's more cynical flank, has become accustomed to referring to the impact of an artist's death on the value of his her works as a death effect. So today we ask, do artist prices systematically skyrocket after their demise? The death affects a cynical calculation or a misconception. The starting hypothesis seems logical. When an artist dies, his or her creativity also ends. As the market stops being fed by new works, those in circulation are subjected to greater demand and hence their prices inflate. When an artist dies, the market becomes agitated with some owners rushing to sell and others rushing to buy. The volume of trades, therefore, increases immediately after the death of an artist in a temporary mode of urgency, but it subsequently returns to a more stable level, leaving the artist's price curve looking like a hump in a flat road. The myth of a death effect has no doubt been added to by a certain number of rare and high-profile cases of artists who had early career successes and who died suddenly, leaving an often small but highly valued body of work. In these cases, dealers and collectors have often bought en masse, driving by speculative motives or the perhaps a fear of missing out. In reality, when you look at all the factors that need to be taken into consideration when purchasing an artwork, there is no reliable way of predicting the posthumous value of the work of an artist who achieved recognition just before a premature death. While alive, the 20th century British landscaped painters Joseph Malor William Turner and Horacio McCulloch both enjoyed similar success on the secondary market. After the deaths, their posterity radically diverged. 
Turner became the iconic landscape painter of this, his period, while McCulloch was almost forgotten, although not completely. It seems that the tipping point occurred right after the deaths. Buyers acquired a large number of Turner's paintings. 77% of his works offered this year of his death. Compare with 42% in the case of McCulloch. This popularity gap was also reflected in the prices. The value worth of Turner's paintings rose plus 122% in 1851, while the value of McCulloch's works fell by 32% in 1867. And this price, differentially, is still visible today. Why were their markets so different after they respected this, after being so similar when they were alive? The prices of the works at the time of their death seems to have been shaped by the relationships each artist had with certain dealers such as the unavoidable McAgne, who alone bought nearly 28% of all Turner's paintings offered for sale after his death. An artist's death is not, therefore, on its own, a factor that will trigger a flurry of market activity, unless accompanied by another market factors. That said, the imminent death of an artist nowadays seems to constitute a fairly reliable market booster. A speculation on death. In November 2000, a study conducted by economists, researchers Robert Ekelund, Fran Wessler, and John Kate Weston appear in the Journal of Cultural Economics titled The Death Effect on Art Prices, a demand side exploration. The topic was further discussed in an article titled The Economics of American Art by Ekelund, Jackson and Robert D. Tollison in 2017. Using data from U.S. auctions and a sample of Latin America artists between 1,977 and 1,996, the authors observe that a death effect is indeed observable, but only for very old artists who are still alive, and essentially in the five years preceding their deaths. The logic is straightforward. The older an artist, the less he she produces. So there is no risk of flooding the market with works which could potentially undermine the artist's priced power or the values of the pieces already owned by collectors. At the same time, Bidders appear to buy works by aging artists because they believe they 
will be worth more after the artist's death. This assumption turns out to be erroneous. On average, while market prices do increase steadily during the five years preceding the death of an artist, they fall in the year of his her death usually living, the price curve looking like a hump in a flat road. In the economics of American art, Ikelong and Jackson tested their hypothesis by examining 6,888 auctions results of paintings created by 70 post-war American artists who died between 1,987 and 2013. They found an average steady price rise of 6% in the five years before death, followed by a roughly equivalent decrease in the year of their death given an average contraction of 26%. Subsequently, however, the prices do generally tend to rise again. This pattern seems to be true elsewhere in the world. Take, for example, the worth in turnover of international listed artists over 99 years old. Shinora Toko is a Japanese artist born in 1913. Her art borders on calligraphy and abstract art. It is interesting to note that since 2015, despite a relatively stable number of slots sold, her action turnover has increased significantly. Picking in 2020, with a new record at 81,250 hammered by Christie's in September at nearly 108 years old. Shinoda prices are continuing to rise despite the fact she has never stopped painting. This will appear to defy the above-mentioned logic, but the art world, demand for an artist's work is influenced by numerous factors such as critical reception, exhibitions, and the institutions that own his or her works. The offer, on the other hand, is based on a single factor, the artist and his or her dealers. The artist as a monopoly. If the offer depends only on the artist, he, she is of course in a monopolistic position. It's strictly economic terms. Nothing can be more reserving for a collector than knowing that an artist's death may be imminent as it ensures the supply will become limited. However, According to Ekelund, Weiss, and Jackson, this assumption is strong. In reality, a number of other factors can affect the supply immediately after an artist's death, not the least of which is precisely their belief that prices will rise after the artist's death, 
as it prompts owners to place a lot of works on the market. Another is, of course, the artist gallery or representative who may decide to announce several exhibitions and flood the market. The hires and or beneficiaries may want to organize a studio sale with the same effect. In short, the unpredictability of the supply after an artist's death simply make it impossible to predict the death effect. There is therefore no guarantee that the value of a work will be created immediately after the death of its creator. There are too many variables in the equation for death alone to be decisive. There may be a likelihood that values will increase in the five years before an artist dies, but uh, who knows when an artist will die and b the statics we have don't necessarily reflect the realities of a market that will always for example longer after the artist's death be hungry for masterpieces so at the start of this year 2021 let us unreservedly wish all artists a long and prosperous life. Thank you very much. Until the next time.